Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. So we're still awaiting a potential Trump arrest. And I think the one person who wants to see him in handcuffs more than the leftists in the media is Donald Trump himself. I've got Cash Patel and Monica Crowley awaiting in the bullpen to discuss. The show starts now. So the much-anticipated Tuesday Trump arrest did not happen, and I honestly think Trump is disappointed it didn't. Republicans have been circling the wagons around him for the last several days, and for good reason, because it's utter BS he could be indicted and arrested for this drummed-up charge of allegedly paying off a porn star to keep quiet about an affair. And you don't have to like Trump to see what a miscarriage of justice and waste of resources this whole pursuit has been. They've had this man under a microscope for years, and this... Is the hill they want to die on? You know, it's a tough one to sell to the American public. Well, minus these two very passionate Trump haters, the media bent over backwards to showcase. You know, it's super pathetic, but the media doesn't care. They love the fact they get to talk about Trump again, because look at the alternative they have to work with. First, I'm proud to use my authority under the Antiquities Act to establish the and I, I want you to know it's a big deal. The Havanaqua May, I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Thank you. I got it. I just know it as Spirit Mountain. I don't know what Spirit Mountain is, but Joe Brandon over there ain't really selling it to me with that pitch. You know, I'd rather go to Splash Mountain, but they've already canceled that attraction for being racist, so there goes that. But point is, Joe is a damn mess, and a half, and covering him only makes that more apparent, so of course the media would rather have some juicy Trump headlines to chase. They want to see him handcuffed because it's good for ratings, and honestly, I think Trump wants to be handcuffed because it's good for poll numbers. And I get it. It's the perfect showcase of our messed up and weaponized justice system. But let me just say this. The demand for Ron DeSantis to address it and then the outrage over him addressing it is baloney. Sorry, that's going to offend some of you, but you're tough. You can take it. The Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies to misdemeanors. He says he doesn't want to even have jail time for the vast, vast majority of crimes. And what we've seen in Manhattan is we've seen the, the, the crime rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. If you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about po porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda.
Am I missing something? Because DeSantis denounced the witch hunt, denounced DA Bragg, and said he will not cooperate with or aid Bragg in his indictment. So what freaking more do you want from the guy? I'm a Trump supporter, but my God, this is insanity. Ron DeSantis is not obligated to kiss the ground Trump walks on, and neither am I, and neither are you. This pile on DeSantis this week was ludicrous, and I don't care what you call me for pointing that out. I'm not going to sit back and play to the hits when I, clear as day, think it's BS, and I support Trump. This political persecution against him is utter nonsense, but to think the sitting governor of Florida, who hasn't even announced his candidacy yet, needs to bend over backward to ingratiate Trump, who goes after him almost every single day now, is BS, and I won't jump on that bandwagon. Sorry, no. But furthermore, let's get this straight. The corrupt Manhattan DA weaponizes his office against Trump, and y'all point your cannons at DeSantis? I really don't understand the strategy here, but this ain't it. Joining me now with his take, which may very well be the exact opposite of mine, and that's okay, is attorney and former deputy director of national intelligence, Cash Patel. Cash, it's great to have you. Hey, thanks so much for having me back on the show. So I want to talk about the merits of this arrest and the indictment and all the latest news, but I have to jump to what I just said there, because... I know you probably have maybe a different perspective. I know you're very close to the Trump camp, but I got to tell you this. I support Donald Trump, but I also don't understand why DeSantis has been made the enemy this week. I don't think that that's strategically helpful for Republicans, nor do I think it makes a ton of sense. But I want to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, it's it's actually a great point you bring up. I'm not the politically savvy guy in the uh, in the Trump domain, but uh, my thoughts on it are he is probably trying to highlight who's likely going to be his biggest competition. And if you could preemptively take him out, and you've seen, whether right or wrong, the media had exploded on Ron DeSantis for not talking earlier. And that narrative seems to be carrying the day. That's sort of the messaging that uh, only Trump can craft and sort of navigate that landscape. Whether it works, like you said, we'll see a lot of people, I'm sure, are siding with your logical position, uh, which is valid on all fronts. And so I just think the political ramifications of it might be different. Will Ron DeSantis, like you said, he hasn't announced yet. Will his calculation be different? I don't know. He just did that big Piers Morgan interview, which all but said he was going to run. So I guess the competition is on. No, it certainly is. And I get it because strategically for Trump, I guess it makes sense. I mean, he's trying to intimidate Ron DeSantis right out of the gate before Ron is even out of the gate. So I get it. And he has done a masterful job of making the Trump supporters turn on Ron DeSantis, label him establishment. I get the strategy on Trump's part, but do I think it's good for the party? No, I do not. And to aim the cannons at your own party when you don't even have that man as a competitor yet, to me is frustrating. Also, let's take into account... Trump goes on Truth Social and says, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday, right? So we yeah. have really nothing other than Trump saying he's going to be arrested to go on. We know that there's a grand jury. We know all of this. But then because he goes on Truth Social and says, I'm going to be arrested, then everybody's supposed to just immediately, like, come out of the woodwork and say, like, we love Trump. Like, yes, I understand it. But for DeSantis to have to, like, what, call an emergency press conference on Sunday and say, I know that Trump said he might be arrested. Let me defend him right now. I mean, I think that that's the expectation that some Trump supporters have, and I find it nonsensical. But I want to go back to just the actual situation at hand here. So the latest that we have, and this is constantly evolving, is the grand jury was supposed to meet today. They postponed the hearings. There's apparently a shakeup in the Manhattan DA's office for good reason. I'm sure a lot of people are really frustrated with the turn this is taking. But what do you think that says about how this is all going to evolve over the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, you know, for my position, I'll speak to as a former federal public defender and a national security prosecutor. I did state and federal grand juries and tried cases like this all the time. What it shows to me is that they are having problems with the evidence. You don't just cancel a grand jury, especially one of this high profile in nature. And I highlight the witness Costello. So for me, it comes down to what's the evidence? You have a convicted federal felon in Michael Cohen who went to prison for three years for the crimes of lying, fraud, and deception. And then you have Costello, who is basically one of the best attorneys in the New York City era of the last 20 years, who doesn't have a criminal record, who who was called before the grand jury and provided contradictory testimony and evidentiary paperwork. And I didn't even know this, and I'm following this stuff pretty closely. He went and talked to the national security prosecutors at DOJ two and a half years ago and submitted eight inches worth of emails from Michael Cohen himself and this state grand jury that Alvin Bragg is convening fail to show the grand jury this set of emails and documentation supporting his testimony. To me, that's a shocking suppression of evidence. And that's why I think you're seeing the turn of events here with the grand jury. Yeah, there was some discussion about how Bragg had really cherry picked the documents and the evidence that he wanted to use against Trump. But that's not surprising to any of us. I think we all know that this is a politically motivated vendetta. You've got Alvin Bragg downgrading felonies to misdemeanors, but now he's going to upgrade a misdemeanor to a felony. We know the reason. It's because it's to go after Trump. And it's a big win for liberals if you can do anything to damage Trump. But on the other side of the coin, I think this is the best thing that's happened to Trump since they raided Mar-a-Lago. And I think that if you asked him, he would honestly probably tell you the same thing. I think for him, this reignites the fire behind his campaign. It allows him an opportunity to demand loyalty from every Republican that walks planet Earth. So I think Trump wants to be arrested. You know more than me, though. What do you think he's thinking right now? Uh, I, I, you know, from a political standpoint, he's thinking, how do I uh, make this as advantageous for me as possible? I talked to him either last night or the night before. I can't remember. Um, I, yeah, I don't think he uh, wants to be arrested, but maybe gets as close to it as possible and then doesn't get arrested is the ideal scenario, of course. And for him, what I think he's doing or what I've advised him on is we need to use this as an example of the two tier system of justice that's been created, not just at DOJ anymore but at Soros-backed prosecutors across the country. Because if you wind back the clock to Russiagate or Jan 6 or Ukraine impeachment 1, 2 or what have you, Mar-a-Lago, Biden classified documents, people have said, oh, it's a conspiracy theory to have a two-tier system of justice. But people are really focused on this case. And if we can show a disparate treatment based on political orientation and not facts and evidence, I think that's the win for so many Americans to say, wow, this is a plague and we need to defeat it. And then what Donald Trump is riding on is defeating that two-tier system of justice. Oh, and I agree. And I am wholeheartedly in that camp. I, I understand it. I think strategically it's wise. I also think it's very important for him to be leading the charge on this because he is really the most covered man on the face of the earth. So for him to be in the spotlight for this reason shines a light on it that maybe otherwise would be dimmed in other situations and other scenarios. I mean, you've got, you know, pro-life pastors being handcuffed or having their homes raided at 7 a.m. in front of their families, also showing a two-tiered system of justice. But those cases don't get the coverage, of course, yeah. that Donald Trump's has. So I think that that's incredibly smart for him to highlight it. I'm 100 percent behind him. I think most Republicans are. I think even most just fair-minded independents are as well. I think it just remains to be seen how this is going to affect everything and if we're going to get the solution that we all want out of it, but also perception for a lot of people is reality. So for me, I, I never really think about the people that are hardcore Trump supporters or news watchers 
or independent thinking folks. I think about the majority of Americans who still believe mm -hmm. in Russiagate and still believe that Trump is a criminal way back from 2017, right? So I'm wondering what impact this is going to have on their perception of the justice system and of Donald Trump. Do you think it moves the needle? I do. I think this is the, one of those rare instances in history where it's no longer just Russiagate. It's no longer just Jan 6. It's no longer just in Ukraine impeachment or whatever fiasco you want to pick. It's now front and center, not just for the political universe, but literally all Americans everywhere I go, and I'm sure the same for you, are talking about this. They're dialed in at least somewhat more than they would normally be. So if you can showcase this scenario for what I believe it is, which is the politicization of justice and the weaponization based on political targeting, uh, just like the other examples you highlighted, then I think, and that for me, that's the advice I was giving President Trump. That's the win. If you can connect real America to this butchering of the justice system, then a lot of those people I truly believe will start saying, okay, maybe we got the Russiagate wrong because we were watching CNN and 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 reading the New York Times. That's the hopeful win. The media is as big of a corrupt actor in this scenario as Alvin Bragg is, or as the DOJ are. In my opinion, they can't exist without each other. And if we can correct the record on some of the media and also show Americans that this two-tier system of justice does exist while crime in my hometown of New York City is exploding, then I think we have hardcore facts that they can't run away from anymore. And they're gonna be like, okay, I wanna say for America, who's gonna bring it for me? Right. Well, you're right. So let's point the cannons at the activist DAs and at the mainstream media, probably not at our fellow Republicans because it really doesn't make any sense at this point. But I want to talk about another story that conveniently has now been hidden because Trump really trumps everything, right? But last week we were getting a lot more information about the Biden family business dealings, all right? So we have, have it in plain black and white that they're receiving money. Then you've got Haley Biden, a guidance counsel, also receiving money. And then the attorneys for Hunter are saying he's a private citizen. He can make money off of whomever he wants. It's not involving national security. It's not involving the big guy. But how deep do you think this runs? And do you think with this investigation, there is finally going to be accountability and maybe even for the big guy himself? So the accountability won't come from this Department of Justice or FBI. We know that they're they're run by government gangsters that Biden put in place and or Trump holdovers that hated Trump to begin with. But the accountability, I relate it back to my time running the Russiagate investigation. You can have constitutional oversight of Congress that leads to accountability. And I think Comer, um, Chairman Comer of the Oversight Committee and Chairman Jordan are doing a wonderful job subpoenaing the documents that matter. And what I've always said is money doesn't lie. It's how we crack the code that Hillary Clinton paid for the whole Russiagate hoax, right? The bank documents never lie. Comer went out and got them. And I understand why he's keeping the documents himself private right now, because he's got to subpoena witnesses and get people to testify under oath. Then you release the bank documents. And the trail of money goes from, if we're to believe James Comer and company, and we have no reason not to, CCP-affiliated companies and banks directly to the Biden family. I mean, it goes to Hunter. It goes to Joe Biden's brother. It goes to Haley Biden. And who knows who else? And so once you show America those documents, that's it. It's game over. Now, there won't be a charge on it, but there could be congressional consequences to it. And I think the biggest way we can help is by educating Americans to say, read the documents for yourselves. Don't bother listening to me or what my opinion is on it. Money doesn't lie. And just look at it this way. What if a million bucks from the CCP went to Don Jr. and Eric and Laura? 
the conversation would be totally different. It's They're not saying they didn't get the money. They know they got caught. Now they're just saying, oh, we had a right to it. Well, yeah. do you? That's the next question. Yeah. So I think also, I don't know how people can still reasonably say that Biden is not implicated in this because we have information that says people were saying, you know, don't say anything about Joe uh, over any writing. Make sure you only say it in person. We've got an understanding. I mean, you got Bob Alinsky saying that Biden is definitely in, 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 in this. Joe himself is in this. So this is a real national security threat. And again, mm -hmm. the fact that these payments span so many years, I've been yeah. saying it all week, but that's what troubles me the most is because if you just get one payment because they think that you can affect policy and you, they think right. that they can get access, that's one thing. But when they keep paying you, you're doing something for them to keep paying you. And it's not because crackhead Hunter is painting them a lovely a portrait that they just want to keep getting more of. There's got to be something there. There's got to be something that they gave to these foreign entities to keep the payments coming. And that's what we really need to know. And that's what the purpose of constitutional oversight of Congress is. They can get the documents and they don't have to hide behind that farce that DOJ and FBI always does and says, we have an ongoing investigation. We can't tell or show you anything. Congress doesn't have to do that. We released the Nunes memo and things like that during Russiagate and Comer and Jordan have the ability to do the exact same thing. I've been calling for them publicly and privately to through their staff to investigate the money lines on this because it's the easiest form of evidence to produce. And once they have that, then put everybody under oath. Hunter Biden isn't above a congressional subpoena. Neither is Joe Biden's brother or Haley Biden or anyone else. And let's haul in the CCP affiliates who paid these people the money and have them testify, whether it's behind closed door or open door, I don't care. Put them under oath and let America know it happened and then let them read the transcript. And they can make up their own mind. To me, that was the best form of accountability we gave during the Russiagate investigation because we said, you don't have to believe us, read their own documentation. And that's what I hope we get to with Comer and Jordan in a few short weeks here. And I think it'll answer a lot of the questions you're talking about. And the timeline, you're right, no one's really touching on that. It is expansive. It's not like a week. It's like 10 years. And that just think about that. Is our commander in chief and his family jeopardized by our number one adversary in the world, the Chinese Communist Party? It's a valid question now. Well, and I also want to know, given this recent news with Russia and China seemingly teaming up here, how close do you think we are to a World War III? And how excited do you think that not only rhinos that love the military industrial complex, but also Democrats are about the possibility of this happening. Yeah, look, as a former chief of staff at DOD, I'll always say that's the best job I ever had, leading our, leading our armed forces as a civilian. And the tragic reality of that is we prepare for war, prepare, 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 and hope we never have to go. And that decision comes down to our leadership. And right now, our leadership is invested in the Ukraine to the tune of $110 billion. And it's too it's too cute by half to say Americans aren't on the ground there. American contractors are on the ground there. That means people who used to be in the American military are now out there doing the machinery, the training, the manning, the equipping for the Ukrainian soldiers because they don't know how to run tanks and operate air, surface air defense missile systems. But the other problem that I think is inching us unfortunately closer to this war is the military industrial complex in the United States of America. And I've always said they are worse than any political ac action group and any lobbying arm in Washington, D.C. They operate on a full-scale budget that is endless. And I'm not saying everything they do is a waste. 
They do a lot of amazing things. But I've literally seen $10 billion blow up in the sky and have no one responsible for it. And then they get another contract. So I know why a lot of these Republicans are calling for it. But here's the reality that Americans need to realize. You can only send so much money without sending conventional soldiers. It happened to us in Afghanistan and we got locked in for 20 years. And I think we're heading there. In about a year, you'll see conventional soldiers on the ground in the Ukraine. And I think that is the most tragic scenario we could have. And China and Russia, they're linking up to egg us on yeah. and to get us involved in this war because they know it's bad for us and good for them. Here's what frustrates me to no end, by the way. China and Russia are both concerns for us geopolitically. We, we know this, especially China, right? So them teaming up is a real big national security threat and a global threat. But we're not going to send our son and daughters to go to war to fight for flipping Ukraine. I'm sorry. I'll say it. I don't think the American people yeah. are going to get behind that. But then a lot of the American people are still wearing those flipping Ukraine flags on their lapels. <laughs> so nothing surprises me anymore. But where have we seen this movie before? I don't know. We send our troops over to train the forces of another country where it was a good day if they didn't shoot themselves in the foot using our equipment and our resources. And you still put Americans in the zone of fire. You tell them that they have rules of engagement that are really stiff, so they really can't do much except for basically defend themselves. But we do this, we fight other people's wars, and you know people on both sides love it. So I, I don't know how this plays for an election. Uh, that's the thing about Donald Trump. I know that he would never stand for this. I don't think a Ron DeSantis would either. But you've got others like Nikki Haley that are cheerleading this, surprise, surprise, and I think the American people better watch this. I've also seen several polls come out that say that Americans are behind this, uh, this endless funding of Ukraine. And I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe any of these polls. I think the way that they ask the questions is probably a little shady and tricky. Because I just don't think the average American believes in, in sending more resources or, God forbid, troops on the ground there. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I I go across this country and enters, you know, talk to people throughout the communities like you do. No one wants to go to war, not just sending our sons and daughters. No one wants to go to war because of the cost of war monetarily. How about we re redirect, say, the 110 billion we sent to the Ukraine? What if we took 5 billion and put it on the border? What if we had one more Chinese fentanyl drug bust and save one more child from an overdose in America, an American child? What if we did that to safeguard our communities? I think that's what Americans want. And they're saying after we do that and there's leftover money, sure, let's help other people. But I think that's Donald Trump's core message about America first. We can't get into conflicts overseas. We can't be goaded by China and Russia. And we haven't even endeavored to talk about what China's going to do to Taiwan. And that's a whole nother scenario that's going to play out during the Biden administration. So I just think, and I agree with President Trump wholeheartedly, that we have too many problems, too much crime, and too much corruption in America right now. And committing our blood and treasure to another two decades overseas is just a brutal reality with the direction of this uh, commander in chief. And for those of you who haven't, you know, talk to a veteran about it. That's my best advice. Go talk to someone who served overseas and fought in a theater of war for our country and ask them. I did. I ended, helped Trump end Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and Somalia. And you know what I did? I flew 65,000 miles in three months. And I asked our men and women on the ground, should we leave this country? It's your decision, not ours. Every single one of them said yes. Even the people who were in Afghanistan on their eighth tour of duty said, we do not need to be here. That, to me, speaks more than any politician ever will about the state of the American defense apparatus. No, you're right. The people on the ground are the ones that know it best. 
Uh, again, it's amazing to me that we have convinced liberals to be pro-war, but, you know, whatever <laughs> the big D says, the big D gets. Cash, thank right. you so much for being here. All eyes are on a possible Trump arrest, should it happen, and we appreciate all of your insight. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. It's great to be with you. See you soon. All right, still ahead. From woke investments in the first Biden veto, the calamity en route ahead of the GOP primaries, I've got Monica Crowley on deck with her take, and that's next. I just signed this veto because the legislation passed by the Congress would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. They couldn't take into consideration investments that wouldn't be impacted by climate, impacted by overpaying executives, and that's why I decided to veto it. It makes sense to veto it. Because nothing says unity quite like vetoing a bipartisan initiative to end woke investing. Do you really want climate activists and green-haired liberal causes infiltrating your retirement plan? Well, Joe thinks you do, or rather Joe's handlers who pull his strings. Joining me now with her take on that and so much more is former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, Monica Crowley. Monica, it's great to see you. You, you too, Tommy. Thank you for having me. So there's a lot to get to, but I want to start with this because we know that the Trump news has taken up much of the headlines this week, but I still think that this is really important. It's the first veto. It's a bipartisan action to end this ESG woke investment. But the way that Biden's trying to explain it to the American people is that he's fighting the mega Republicans to keep special interests out of it. What do you make of that? And how do you explain it to the average person who might fall for his BS? So it, the really important thing for everybody to understand here is that Joe Biden is using the energy sector as the biggest lever to accomplish the Great Reset here at home, or what Obama once called the fundamental transformation of the nation. Because the energy sector is the biggest economic sector available to these Marxists, that's the one that they attack the most. And of course, they go after small businesses and other aspects of the economy, but their main focus is on the energy sector for that big reason, because if they can leverage that and get that into this sort of green new deal that they've been talking about for many years, then the entire American economy falls into line into this more collectivist socialist kind of model. So keep in mind that that's sort of the backdrop of every single thing that they're doing. With regard to ESG, remember, ESG, just like DEI and CRT and the entire vegetable soup of acronyms coming from the left, it is a form of Marxism. So ESG is a form of economic Marxism. And what we're now seeing in the financial sector, Tommy, is a direct result of industries and businesses going down the road of ESG, which sounds good on paper. The leftists always make things sound good on paper. Environmental, social governance, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but to the exclusion of focusing on their core mission, which is providing for a, a, a good or a service at a reasonable price for the consumer, delivering for their shareholders, and upholding their, their main mission, which is driving their business and making profit. So they've moved away from those core missions and toward this, this woke social justice nonsense. And the direct result is a collapse of certain banks, which could have more contagion and perhaps even overflow into the broader economy. 
I want to go back to talk about just that, the Silicon Valley Bank bailout, because it was a bailout, no matter how they like to market it and package it for the American people. I also thought this was just so ironic. There was a tweet over the weekend from President Biden, and he tweets it a lot about holding, you know, the billionaires accountable. He's a capitalist, but billionaires need to pay their fair share. It shouldn't be on the backs of the working class that they make all their money. And then this was just days after, by the way, the Silicon Valley Bank bailout, where he essentially bailed out the billionaires. I mean, when you look at what happened with SVB, this is the ultimate bailout of billionaires. But again, they tried to market it like they were helping small businesses make payroll for their employees. And the American people bought it hook, line and sinker for the most part. That's because they always have the protection and the amplification of the press, Tommy, right? So they can always count on the press to amplify and carry their lies. And then the American people, for the most part, only hear one side of the story. I mean, thank goodness for shows like yours and Fox News and there are some other outlets, my podcast. Um, but there are places to get the truth. But for the most part, the propaganda press is just out there to advance an agenda and to protect the liars here. Um, look, with regard to S. VP. Yes, they they did have a lot of accounts that were small businesses and individuals who were in peril, but the vast majority of their depositors and frankly their investors were Silicon Valley titans. These were venture capitalists. These are tech companies that have very deep pockets. And you know the other thing that they have, Tommy? They have deep connections to the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden Gavin Newsom, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, the list goes on and on. So, of course, when this bank was engaged in all of this woke nonsense and also, you know, not prepared for rising interest rates, which were a direct result of Biden and the Democrats out of controlled spending that created the inflation in the first place, um, when this bank started to collapse, of course, a democratic regime would step in and bail it out. And you know who's paying for it, Tommy? It's you and me and the rest of the deplorables. We're we're footing the bill for this, right? The hardworking average American. And again, all this information gets swept under the rug because every week there's a new catastrophe, a new calamity. And now this week we've got the Trump arrest, the possible arrest, the possible indictment. We know that this case is evolving literally by the moment, but I just spoke to Cash Patel about this. We were talking about there were some shakeups in the Manhattan DA's office. There are some people that maybe think that this is going in the wrong direction. They paused the grand jury hearings for the day. But I want to get your take, because you and I were on Hannity last week, I believe it was, and Sean asked us about the infighting in the Republican Party. Well, this week it kicked up about 50 notches, but it kicked up between, who else, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. So in my opening, I said this, and I, I said this on Sean's show as well. I don't understand the Republican strategy of taking this horrible persecution, this political weaponization against Trump, and then turning all of the GOP cannons at Ron DeSantis, I don't think strategically for us as a party that makes a lot of sense. I understand why it makes sense for Donald Trump, but I don't get what makes what sense it makes for the average Republican who just wants to see us take back the White House. Do you think the heat on Ron DeSantis this week has been fair? Um, well, look, th- this is politics, and politics is a blood sport, Tommy. So, um, look, there are things that are good for the country, things that are good for the party, and then things that are good for each individual candidate. 
So look, if you're coming at it from the point of view of the party, the America First movement and the country, we don't like to see fellow Republicans training their fire on each other. It makes us really uncomfortable. It distracts us from the bigger mission. And remember, we are in a war. We've been in a war for the country for a really long time, and only one side has been fighting it the communists, the left, the system, the deep state. So now we've got more and more Americans paying attention to what's actually going on in the country and, and uh, with us in terms of the fight and focused on the actual enemy within. Um, so we don't want to waste a lot of time training our fire on each other. However, we are going into a primary that is going to be very fierce, it's going to be very hard fought. I think most of it is going to be policy oriented. And it, you've got you've got Donald Trump. Monica, do you really think it's going to be policy oriented? Because I don't think so for yeah. a minute. I think maybe on the side of like the Nikki Haley's and, and the rest of them, they might focus on their neocon policies. But I think when it comes to Ronda Sanders and Donald Trump, I think Donald Trump is 100% going to go for the jugular and it's going to be about personality, going to be about character, going to be about weakness. I don't think he's going to argue with Ron DeSantis about policy that much because I think the two have very similar policies and I think that they would, whoever is elected, have very similar policies to one another. So I think Donald Trump is just going to go low, 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 jugular, and I, I, that's what I think we're going to see from Trump because we're already seeing it. You disagree? Not entirely. I do think you're right um, to, to a great extent because, look, Trump has one speed attack, right? And counterpunch. That, that's it. Um, but he has been doing something very smart, Tommy, over the last really year or so, which is most of his major rallies and addresses have been policy oriented. And so what he is doing is driving a stake in the ground in terms of his record of four years as president, and then where we are right now in the catastrophe of Joe Biden, and then what he would do as president in four years if he is reelected. So what he is doing is driving a stake into the ground and for Forcing all of the other Republicans to react to that. And if they agree with him, they're looking like they're copying him, right? That they're just echoing what Donald Trump is saying. And Ron DeSantis got some pushback on that with his uh, position on Ukraine from the establishment, the rhinos and, and others who support that engagement. But, but also he's forcing others like Nikki Haley to oppose him. So he is actually setting the policy framework. That's what I meant by how I think right. it's going to be policy oriented because everybody's going to have to respond to Trump. But I do agree with you that he's going to haul out the nicknames. He is going to just, you know, shoot from the hip and it is going to get personal because remember, all of these people want the throne, but there's only one throne and they're going to have to fight it out to get it. I personally think that there is one throne, but I think even if Donald Trump doesn't get the throne, he's going to make his own throne, which is going to be bigger, and he's going to set it next to the other throne because that's just Trump, and we love him for it. You know, I don't think he'd ever stop running for office. I really don't, and we love that about him. We love the fact that he's a fighter. He's never going to change his style. I wouldn't want him to. I would just hope that at least at this stage, he doesn't make the personal digs at Ron DeSantis about his past or him partying with underage girls. I mean, all that stuff to me is like very what liberals do to try to cut Republicans off at the knees. And it's usually BS. I don't like that. But the last question I have for you, because this has been the ongoing argument all week long, and it's been a masterful strategy by the Trump team. But do you, Monica, believe that Ron DeSantis is establishment? 
I think he's got establishment backing. Um, remember, he spent a couple of years in Congress, and he's got a congressional record that he is going to have to defend now that he is running for president. And I would answer it this way as well. The Republican Party is completely different because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has so smashed the paradigm of what the Republican base, but also independents, disaffected Democrats, what they expect and want in a Republican candidate, that the ground is completely different. So while I don't think Ron DeSantis is establishment, while I do think he's been an extraordinary governor in the state of Florida, while I do think he's got a tremendous political future ahead of him. The question remains is, does he understand that the ground beneath him has shifted, that this is not pre-2015, that the country, the party, and the movement are so different that he needs to be different as well if he wants to succeed in this primary, okay? So I would lay it that way. And right now, I'm, I have not quite yet seen from Ron DeSantis that he understands that point. The establishment is trying to drag him. I don't know whether he's going willingly or not. That remains to be seen. But the establishment is trying to reset the party and the country to pre-2015. They're trying to make Donald Trump into like a historical aberration, like he never existed, right? The media is doing that as well. So is Ron DeSantis going to operate sort of in that pre 2015 context? Or does he understand that this is now an America first movement and he's got to operate in that? That remains to be seen. If he navigates that successfully, then he will be successful. But if he doesn't, Donald Trump and the America first movement are just going to run right over him and everybody else. Oh, I agree. But I don't think that Ron DeSantis is not the America first movement. I think he is the America first movement. I think he's a new generation of the America first movement. But now he's got to battle I, what I believe is somewhat of his mentor, right? So I think that that's what we're setting up here. But I don't think it's fair to label Ron DeSantis establishment just because he's not Donald Trump. I mean, I think that you can be America first and I think you can be mega all the way and not be Donald Trump because he did change the landscape and other people can follow in his footsteps, but maybe just have a better chance of winning and winning independence. So that's my thought on it. But, you know, it's masterful that they're labeling him that way. Whoever is over in the Trump camp has been doing a great job. And I like both men, so I hope that they can keep it as clean as possible. But I don't expect that. Monica, thank you for being here and giving your insight. And I hope to see you on Hannity again very soon. Such a pleasure, Tommy. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, up next, it's been a no good, dirty, rotten week, and there are a lot of things I could go off on, but instead I'd like to end tonight's show with something heartening for a change. My final thoughts are next. Folks, I don't have to tell you this, but it's been a long week already, and it's only Wednesday. Our former president is set to be indicted. Our borders are overrun by illegals. Banks are failing. Russia and China are teaming up, and our president can't put a sentence together. It's a damn mess. But instead of piling on all that, I want to end tonight's show with a true story I think will help restore some of your faith in humanity. It's time for Final Thoughts. This is Floyd Barber of Tucson, Arizona. He's a 91-year-old Korean War veteran 
who saved up just enough cash to get his teeth fixed. But on his way to the dentist, he stopped off to get gas with that envelope of cash in his pocket, and he was robbed by some trash woman who was soulless enough to rip off an elderly man at the gas pump. The woman got away and left Floyd standing there. All his cash he saved up for his teeth repair, gone. Now, Floyd was naturally feeling pretty down and out about the situation, so he sought some comfort at his favorite restaurant, one he visits at least once a week, and his usual order is soup and a glass of milk. His server, Sherry, asked him how his day was going, and he spilled the story of his robbery. Sherry was taken aback, and as a mom and a daughter of veterans, she, like the rest of us, was in disbelief someone could do something so horrible to a man she described as the kindest soul. Sherry was determined to help him get his money back, so she reached out to the local news station and got Floyd on the broadcast, and she also set up a GoFundMe in his name. And in less than a week, the fund exceeded the goal of $10,000 as strangers and community members pitched in. Some not knowing how to use GoFundMe just walked up and gave Floyd some cash. Now, Floyd says the kindness of Sherry and those who pitched in restored his faith in people, and just reading the story, it helped restore mine. Look, this country is very divided right now, and it's likely going to get worse. Democrats are fighting Republicans, Republicans are fighting Republicans, and the vitriol and the spite and the injustice is already overwhelming. So it's easy to get caught up in it and cynical. But stories like Floyd serve as a reminder most people are good and decent and kind. So God bless our elderly, God bless our veterans, and God bless America. May we all fight the temptation to harden our hearts, even when it gets rough out there. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless. And take care.